Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host of the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you for joining us once again today. Uh, this is going to be another one of the sermons from the Code series, and you're going to be hearing from Pastor Nathan, who will talk about our code called Multiply. This is all about discipleship, and um, this is this is our call as followers of Jesus to go and to make disciples. But I don't want to uh, get ahead of myself or get ahead of Nathan. He's going to give a great message. Uh, if you're a first or second time listener been listening for a while but you haven't subscribed yet, I would encourage you to do so so you can stay up to date on all of our podcasts and maybe sometimes other information that might be going on here at the church. And then if you would like to invest in the work that we get to be a part of that God is empowering us to do, uh, you want to do that financially, I would invite you to give and go to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. And you can find out information on how you can give, as well as how your giving actually makes an impact. Sometimes it's helpful to know exactly what your finances are doing, what your investment is doing. So I appreciate that ahead of time if you decide to, to, to do that. Um, now, enjoy the sermon. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm grateful that you are here. I'm grateful that you're experiencing what God has for you, and uh, we've already been on a journey, and I hope today as I was praying um, and worshiping with you, I, I was just lifting my voice to God, and sometimes I'll stop singing and just start praying real loud because it's loud in here and I'm not bothering anybody, and uh, one of the things that I just felt God prompt me to pray was that I pray that today that people would be leaving behind uh, some burdens, that we'd be leaving behind some false understandings of following God, and they would pick up the new way, the way um, that is beautiful and the way that is following Jesus truly. And so I believe that's what God is doing for us right now and what he's doing in this moment. And whether you're brand new to this church and this is the first time you're here or the first time you're hearing this message, or you've been following God for your whole life, I think God has something for you as he calls you to something higher and greater and deeper. And he's going to do it through his word and through prayer and through worship. So I hope that you look forward to that today. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in a series called The Code. This is the third year we've done this. This code is something that helps us understand who we are. It's based on the past. It helps guide our now and goes into the future. But a code is like, well, what is a code, right? Now, I'm going to keep saying this because people are going to get it, and they're going to be able to, to understand it. But I, I want you, if you're new, to be able to understand that uh, a code is a declaration, it's, it's a declaration of something. It's not necessarily a value. It's not just uh, something we believe about God. We have those things. It, it's true. It's a, a declaration that gives meaning. It gives uh, meaning to who we have been. Giving meaning to who we have been, it gives purpose to who we are now. It's not just something on the wall. We believe it. We work in it. We make sure that we pursue it now, but it's also going to drive us to who we are becoming if that doesn't help you understand what our code is, a code is a song of salvation. There's a song of salvation and transformation that God is singing uh, over our city. We sing to him, but he's singing over us. And our church is just one of the parts, one of the parts in the harmony. Our code gives us our part. It helps us sing along with the choir of the other churches as God is bringing everything under him into completion 
So we've already been through a lot, and you can go back and, and watch them from this year or the previous year or the year before that, but we've already covered you belong, so you feel safe so that you can encounter Jesus like we did in worship. And when you encounter Jesus, you don't stay the same. You change, and you become passionate about relentlessly pursuing one more person for Jesus. And because of that passion, you'll do whatever it takes, and you'll go wherever it takes you. This is how this progresses and moves, and today we're going to be talking about multiply, the shortest one of all of them. It is one of my favorites for sure, uh, multiply. And what do I mean by multiply? Well, if you know the Word of God or you may have heard something like this in the beginning, God created the world. He made Adam and Eve, and He said, be fruitful and multiply. And, and things went well, and there was multiplication for a while, and then it went bad. So God flooded the world and started over with Noah, and He said to him, be fruitful and multiply. Go and make children. And, and, and He did, and the world filled up. And then, and then God picked Abram, who became Abraham, and He said, multiply, I will make a nation out of you. This understanding of who God is has always been about multiplication. God's plan for us, for you, since the beginning was multiplication. No matter what your age is right now, no matter what your situation, all of us are called to multiply. Even students, students, I'm calling you to be fruitful and multiply but not by making babies. Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear you. All of us are called to this. I'm going to talk about how it shifted and changed. Students, do not multiply physically yet. Wait. But you are called to multiply in a specific way that I want to talk about today, and that's when we mean multiply. We don't mean just have children. That's beautiful. We actually mean something different. Multiplication was part of God's plan for humanity and the world was filled with people when Jesus came. You know, in Jesus' day, there was approximately 300 million people on the entire globe, 300 million, which if you know anything, that's less than the amount of people in America right now. So the whole world was filled with the amount of people who are in America right now, and we are by far not the largest country in terms of population. When Jesus came, he preached, and he spoke to thousands of people if Jesus were to continue to do that, to preach to a thousand people a day, bringing the faith to them, preaching about the good news, healing, teaching, prophesying, it would have taken him close to 1,500 years to reach the people in his day. 1,500 years reaching a thousand people a day. He needed help. It was part of his plan. So Jesus called the disciples to follow him. He lived life with these disciples. He invested in them. He shared food with them or the lack of it. He slept in tents with them and walked with them and hiked with them and talked with them and spoke to them and joked around. He lived life with these disciples while he was here. He spent so much time with them because he loved them and had a plan for them. He always had a purpose for the disciples. So he ended up with 12 individuals who, if they were as effective as Jesus, could have reached not 1,000 people a day, but maybe 13,000 converts a day. That sounds like some great addition. Who would like to be able to speak like 13,000, 26,000? I mean, that sounds great. And for the current day, it would have dropped it down to 65 to 80 years. It would have taken for the disciples in Jesus to reach 
everybody. That seems like that wouldn't have worked out because Jesus was gone in three years. In three years, he was gone. He must have had more in mind than that. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. When he came up to them, he says this. Jesus came up to them and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus lives life with them, dies, resurrects, comes back, meets them. He's with them for like 40 days, and he's like, I'm out. I'm leaving this whole ministry, the whole world. I want you to know, everyone to know me. I give this job to you. Disciple, disciple them. That verb, disciple, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and and go, therefore, and make disciples is the main verb of that entire sentence. Everything, you know, affects that. You make disciples by teaching and by baptizing. As you are going, make disciples. But it's actually written as a command. So it's make disciples. Like, you must go and do this. This is not an option. If you know Christ as your Savior, it's commanded of you that you make disciples. It's one of the defining characteristics, if not the defining characteristic of a Christian. One of my previous pastors used to say, I'm not sure you can call yourself a Christian if you aren't discipling because it's so core to the faith. And that statement alone may have shocked you, but that's because we've kind of lost this in the journey. If you know Christ is your Savior, it's commanded that you do what Jesus did. Now, not many of us are used to commands, Right? Anyone in here feel like they get commanded to do things on a daily basis? The students are like, yeah, double. I get told to do stuff all the time. That's my life. But in reality, most of us, especially adults, don't really have commands given to us in a few instances. But, but in the military, you are given commands. You, know? you get given commands that you are supposed to obey without even thinking. You know? When I say jump, You say how high on the way up, right? That's what I was told. When you say jump, you should be jumping and asking how high on the way up, which doesn't make logical sense because how much effort are you supposed to put in it? But that's the case. And if you don't, there are dire consequences leading up to being court-martialed and put in jail. Most of us don't have commands in our life. We have bosses who ask us to do things, but many of us feel it's negotiable to talk about what or how we should get that done, and the worst that they could possibly do is fire you, not cause harm to you or cause you to be imprisoned. Most of us don't live with commands. In America, you don't tell me what to do. Don't tread on me, right? Like, so we're not used to commands, but this, this is a command, disciples. And I think for some of us, like, the first time we've heard this, we're like, wait, what What are you talking about? I don't remember hearing this growing up in church. I don't remember. I don't know what this means. So I think it's important for us to, to pause for a moment and say what I mean when I mean discipleship. Discipleship is, is helping people follow and, and imitate and become like Jesus. It's what Jesus said for the apostles, and it's what we have to do for others. It's influencing others. It's pouring your life out 
to them. It's, it's trying to help them understand who Christ is and to help them grow in it. And successful discipleship means you disciple someone to the place where they can disciple someone else. The disciple becomes the discipler. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, it echoes the command to be fruitful and multiply. But instead of doing it through physical means, it's through spiritual means, which I find is extremely hopeful for those who are limited in our physical ability to have children or to have more children because, you know, we're beyond that age. No, the call to multiply is not for one season of life, but for all seasons of life. And it's not just for the physical, it's for something much, much bigger. But it's a command, and it isn't an option. I love that we get to be part of the story of redemption. So disciple, to disciple, make disciples, it's a verb. And it is a command of Jesus. Another way of saying it is discipleship is obedience. Discipleship is obedience. Have you guys ever heard the story about uh, someone will say to you, would you rather have a million dollars? I'll give you 30 days you have to work for me. I'll give you a million dollars on day one. Or I'll give you a single penny on day one. And then I'll double it every single day for 30 days. The question is, which would you choose, the million dollars on day one or the doubling penny? And most of us, if we didn't know it was set up to be a trick anyways, would pick the million dollars, right? No one's going to whip out their calculator and try to figure that out. But if you don't and you say, hey, I'm going to take the one penny and day two I get two pennies and, and, and it goes on to four and so forth, by the end of that time, you would have 536,870,912 cents or approximately $5 million with some big change. $5 million. That is a big dig. The point is it's supposed to teach you about investing, and it's also supposed to teach you about multiplication, um, about how it's exponential when you double down and double down and double down and double down. This is what Jesus had in mind. Multiplication, not addition, not just 13,000 a day, not just 1,000 a day, on and on, but multiplication. And now start to think about it this way. For you, if you disciple one person a, a year, one person a year, just one, you just take one person, you pour your life into them, and you say, hey, your job is to disciple one other person so that they can disciple one other person. And, and, and they were to join you in that. So you have 30 disciples in 30 years. If you were to do that, and that worked, everyone kept discipling, then you would have half a billion disciples in 30 years half a billion disciples. And you're like, okay, that's just a little too big for me to understand. And also seems like there's a lot of factors that could happen, Nathan. You don't understand. Not everybody's going to do. Okay, okay, okay. Let's bring it home a little bit. If you disciple one person for 30 years, and the first person you discipled does that for 29 years. So that person's going to do it for 29 years. When you're done with 30 years, they're going to be done. And then the person that you disciple next does it for 28 and so forth. And what would happen that when you retired from discipling people after 30 years, you would have how many people? 
How many spiritual grandbabies would you have? The answer is 495. Now, anybody here had 495 actual grandbabies when they died? We would say, hey, man, Nick Cannon, slow down. Like, that's too many. Nick Cannon had four children this year. Anyways, that just came to mind. It's not written here, so I apologize if I offended you. But that's the thing. That's when you retired. If you stopped, if you stopped at 30, but everybody just did 30 years, so every person you decided finished out their 30 years, then you would have 900 spiritual grandbabies, that kind of first generation. But that and the exponential growth, that's how you get to half half a billion. Well, isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that seem a lot easier? One a year. One a year. Here's a problem. There are not 300 million people today. There are 8 billion people who do not know Jesus. Multiplication was always God's plan. It was always Jesus's plan. This is why discipleship is synonymous with multiplication. I'll get there in a second, but like a pandemic has taught us, we should understand that one becomes two becomes three. We should understand this better than ever. And the Holy Spirit becomes what we pass on to people. It spreads like wildfire, and nothing can hold it back. Jared's message last week talked about Paul, who was willing to do whatever it takes and go wherever it takes him. And it's interesting in Acts 14, it talks about how he shared with them the word of God and they tried to worship him. He's like, it's not, don't worship me. And then they turned on him and they tried to kill him and they stoned him and they threw him out in the trash heap and he got up and went back in. Just amazing story. But what I noticed when I read the very next verse, it just shocked me. It says Acts 14, 21. So, so Paul leaves but there's still people in that city, this city that has rejected them. But they says this, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconum and to Antioch. For the early church, the job was done when there was a reproducing discipleship ministry in the city because they knew that's all it would take. Now, they talked to them later and corrected them if they got off, but they understood that this wasn't about addition. This wasn't just about adding people. This was about multiplying people. So when I say discipleship, I mean multiplication. When we say multiply, we mean disciple. Discipleship is multiplication, and it's exponential, the effect. I want to talk about some of the barriers to you discipling. Do you know that I have a plan for every single person who ever comes in here? That we would be such a place that allows you to feel like you belong so that you can encounter Jesus, so you can catch the vision of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, so that you get to grow and become somebody who gives so much of their life so that they can disciple others so that the world would know the name of Jesus. That this isn't, for, this isn't something that's just for the partners. This isn't something that's just for the few. This isn't something that's just for the staff. It is for every single one of you. Every single one. But there are some barriers to discipleship. Besides the fact that we've kind of lost this as a church for a hundred years and turned it back into addition and left multiplication at the side, there are some other barriers. I want to talk about some of the things you may say. I am not a pastor. I cannot disciple. 
The call wasn't ever for the pastors to be the ones who disciple the entire congregation for all time, forever. That was never the plan. That was never what God intended. In Ephesians, there's a call for church leaders, and it tells them what their job is. Ephesians is kind of like a constitution for the church, and it talks about the different leaders in the church, and it says this, your job in Ephesians 4, 12, is to equip the saints for works of service to build up the body of Christ. If we're building up, if we're multiplying, if we're growing, it's actually not my job. It's yours. My job is to help you do that. So when you say, I'm not a pastor, good, you're perfectly positioned to disciple. <laughs> you say, I'm not a pastor, good. You get to put your energy into one or two people a year and help them know Christ, and it is exponential, the work you can do, and some of you are doing, much more so than what I'm doing. I'm not a pastor, that's okay. Discipleship is for every Christian. Discipleship is multiplication. Second thing I want you to know is discipleship is for every Christian. And when I mean Christian, I mean those who follow Christ. Second thing you might say is, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. You, just, you name it. I, I've got sins in my life. I've got issues. I'm not good enough. And I would tell you, of course you're not. You're not good enough. That's not the point. Jesus was good enough. And Jesus has given you something to do. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself, brought us back into relationship to himself, what? Through Christ. So of course you're not good enough. You needed someone to reconcile you, to make you right with God. And Jesus did that. But then it goes on to say, And God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So you're not good enough, that's okay. Jesus did it for you, but he has also called you to do what Jesus did for others, to reach out and tell them the good news. We have a job to do, to bring people back to God through Jesus. We can feel like we are not good enough. In fact, we are who God called us to be. We aren't good enough, but God has called us to become a ministry of reconciliation. I love Jesus. Jesus isn't even done with his three years. And he takes 72 and he sends them out. And they barely understand who he is, clearly, because later they get it confused. They don't know who he is. He hasn't died on the cross, but he gives them the spirit. And he says, go, heal people and tell them the good news of who I am, that I am the way, the truth, and their life. And they're like, don't fully understand what that means, but I will go and I will do it. It's beautiful. And they mess up. And he coaches them. It's, it's beautiful. It's discipleship. It's what we do. But I want you to know, like, it's not about arriving. It's about the going. It's not about you being good enough. It's about you going. Let me ask another question this way. We, we get wrapped up sometimes in the idea of that moment of salvation, which I value. I think it's important. There's a moment of salvation. There's a moment of baptism and, and dedication. Those things are important. But, but somewhere along the line, it became the thing. The only thing. So my question is, when did Peter and James and John become a Christian? Like, when did they become saved? When did they have their moment? And scholars have debated this for years. Was it when Peter said, God, you are the Christ? 
And Christ says to him, this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by God. Was it after many left Jesus, because they couldn't stand what he was saying, but the disciples stayed, and when asked why, they said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Was it then? Was it at the crucifixion? Was it at the resurrection? Did Peter lose it when he denied Christ? Did Peter get it back when he was restored by Christ? Was it when Jesus showed up with the holes in his hand, when it was Jesus ascended, when, when, when the Holy Spirit fell? When did they become Christians? I don't know. And it's arguable that nobody knows when. But I do know when they became a disciple. I do know when they followed him, when he came to him and said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they got up and followed. See, the fact that you have got up and followed is all that God needs to use you and to tell the story. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore, this is the same passage I read at the beginning of this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So even if you feel like you don't have what it takes to disciple someone one-on-one, you need to understand that evangelism, telling the story, going out and telling people about Jesus Christ is discipleship as well. It's part of it. Discipleship is evangelism isn't just necessarily this moment of salvation and then you are discipled. That doesn't make sense. See, Jesus was discipling his apostles from the moment he said, follow me. And so all of us can engage in that. Evangelism is part of discipleship. I want to pause here for just a moment because there's a lot of people who are still stuck with this, I'm not good enough. So I want to use this illustration. I find it really, really helpful. I have two glasses here. I have this wine glass that's it's pretty nice, and then I have a Life Church root beer mug. Um, <laughs> this, was, this is Life Church. You can barely see it. This is a root beer mug. We did root beer floats in it. A lot of us, when we think about discipling, we'll get stuck here. I'm not full. I don't have enough yet. I, I, I know how much I don't know. I know how broken I am because the longer I know Jesus, the more broken I know I am, but more thankful for his redemption. This is me. I don't have a lot, and there might be some floaties in there. I don't know what I got. Like, this is not great. And then you look at someone who maybe doesn't even believe in God yet, or maybe they just got saved, and you're like, they need so much. They're, they're empty. And we think that discipleship is like being the Mr. Miyagi and giving everything that we need. We think it's about filling up their cup. And so we start looking at ourselves and saying, ah, I got this messed up. But we have to realize that when we follow Christ, he has been investing and pouring in us something that's of the Spirit. So we are not called to fill their cup. We're called to pour out what we have. All we're called to do is pour out what we have. That's it. That's what discipleship is. Pouring out what you have. Is this full? No. But that's why we're a team of people who work together. We're called to pour it out. Sometimes we get in our own way by being overwhelmed by the task. We need to realize that God has given us everything we need for that moment, and we are called to go. Another barrier that you may hear is, well, I have never been discipled. 
I feel like I have very little, little Holy Spirit or experience to give. I've never been discipled. And the truth is the church in America, not just this church, but the church in America has abandoned discipleship for generations so that its understanding has died on the vine. And so, of course, many of us have not been formally discipled or really poured into or mentored or understand that that's part of our journey. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I had never been discipled when I began this journey. I was in my first um, pastorate. It was in 2009. I wasn't technically a pastor at that point. I was like the group's coordinator or something. I forget what my title was, but my job was to help with small groups. And we went on this retreat with a bunch of other pastors, and there was this revelation that we got in prayer. Because we were a church that was all about addition, and we did really, really well. We grew by 600%. In, in, in two years. Like, it was incredible. We were good at addition. We added people like crazy. It was so much fun. I'm not gonna lie. It felt so good just to keep adding people to the church. And uh, we didn't know what we were doing, but it was fun. But then we went on this retreat and we realized that we didn't have the people we needed to care for those people. And that we had somewhere along the line and all of our understandings, this is six pastors in the room, realized that no, we've lost discipleship. Somehow we've lost it on this journey. And I had some success with small group training. And so my pastor turns to me, a young man, and says, equip a church full of brand new Christians to disciple people. And I was angry because I had never been discipled and I didn't know what to do. So I sat down in this little room with peeling beige paint, and it was in the middle of being refurbished, and, 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 and they had ran out of money. So I'm just sitting with this open ceiling with this tiny computer on this really scratched up desk, staring at the screen going, God, what do we do? And in that moment, the beginnings of the life journey was born. A young man with really strong emotions and ideals in a room that was falling apart begin to write out what God was laying on my heart. I believe in that moment the Spirit gave me this vision of helping people on this journey, of redeeming a fatherless and motherless spiritual generation, even though I couldn't have told you what discipleship looks like as someone who received it. Twelve years later, or however many years it's been since 2009, three different churches making countless revisions and adding course after course with over 30 pastors involved and teachers in the life journey has with no exaggeration hundreds of graduates who have been trained to disciple people one-on-one. It is a powerful and amazing and overwhelming process that God has taken us on. And that is where it comes here. Many of you maybe don't even know the story of the life journey And it's beautiful because so many people have been getting involved. Currently, it's staffed and resourced by Pastor John Grandy, our discipleship pastor. It's currently being used in four different churches and has a crew of volunteers helping make a difference in the Midwest and on the East Coast. Right this very minute, there is a good-sized church in Portland, Maine, where 22 leaders are learning about the life journey so that they can implement it in their church It is something 
that I at times am overwhelmed in awe of what God has done. They'll launch their life journey and a church and it'll make a difference. And those who have given here have been a part of it and maybe will never even see the exponential effect of discipleship. I had never been discipled and yet I had been commanded by God to do it. And so when you say to yourself, I, I, <laughs> I've never been discipled, I can't do this. I'll wait until I'm getting discipled. I'm saying, it's too late. There are people dying who have never heard of Jesus Christ. We must be the pioneers. We must be the ones who reclaim what God has had. And I'll tell you all this, not because I don't like talking about how big the life journey is getting that much because it feels like somehow it's about me. But what I've realized over years, it's not about me. The only reason why it worked with a little, you know, child basically who, who came up with this along the way is not because the framework is, is something that's magical or it's the best in the world. It's just something that's getting behind what the Holy Spirit is already doing and that is why it works. And so what God is going to do inside of you is move through the Holy Spirit. When people who take these courses are made mostly of people who have not been discipled in their life, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the pandemic has made this more clear than ever before. We have these megachurch pastors who have become very good at addition. And in no way am I bashing them at all at this point. What I'm saying to you is they have publicly said in the middle of this pandemic that it is time to return to discipleship because they're realizing that addition is not going to cut it. And two, addition has resulted in people who cannot weather the crisis and the storm that came through COVID-19. This is a work of the Holy Spirit for decades. This is something that he is doing and we get to be part of it. Discipleship also leaves a legacy. It leaves a legacy. Now, for those who can't have children or maybe uh, have lost children, having spiritual grandbabies is something beautiful. It's something that leaves a legacy. And I believe that your legacy will not be left by just your children, but in fact, by your spiritual grandbabies and babies, the people that you invest in, how many you went out and discipled one-on-one. Discipleship has left a legacy in my life. There are those who formally discipled me. There are those who didn't, but still invested in me. Like my father, Larry McWhorter, who every night at my bed prayed for me to marry a woman of God. And I did. Like Jimmy Wanzer, who showed me what it was to love and how to love an absolute idiot, which was me, and how to show love no matter what, so much so that I was brought to tears. Mark Hurst, who showed me how to lead and pastor with love and patience and trust and hope in God. David Dutton, who set me straight when I lost my way and wouldn't leave me at my worst. Jason Lance was the first man to agree to disciple me, and that was three years before I came here. Three years before I came here was the first time I'd ever been discipled formally. This is close to my heart, but I wouldn't be here without him. Mark Ongleby, who didn't judge me when I raged against God and sat next to me in patience and silence when I came to the end of myself and wouldn't let me suffer alone. And Kevin Butcher, who disciples me now with love and refuses to let me stray from the love of Jesus Christ. They are the spiritual fathers of my life. They are the ones who either directly or indirectly discipled me to follow Jesus. They are the ones 
who kept me on that path. They've invested in me, and I must continue that process. As I'm preaching right now, a young man I have discipled in the past and who we still talk once in a while, he's preaching right now. He's preaching at the same time that I am in a church in Ohio. He's brought the life journey to, to his church, and it's transforming them as well. But he is, he's preaching one of his first sermons at this church. And he's there, and, he, and we just, how, by, not by happenstance, the Holy Spirit moves, and we talk like, you know, every three weeks or so. But he calls me, and, and, and he's telling me, he's like, he's like, I'm preaching. This is what I'm preaching on. I want you to know that you're in it, that I talk about you in it because of what you have done in my life. What a beautiful moment. So humbling, like I'm just overwhelmed by it. But it gives me hope because it means that in some small way, I'm on Donnie's list, just like there are those on my list who have invested in me. Exponential discipleship again and again and again. Discipleship is commanded by Jesus, and it's one of my greatest joys, and it can be yours as well. Discipleship is a life journey. It's a journey of a lifetime. One a year does not feel like much. One person a year doesn't feel like much, but a lifetime of doing this. Do you know that if we all did this, then everyone would have a chance to encounter Jesus in the entire world in 50 years or less, like way less? But I don't want you to get focused on that because it's not about you being good at it. It's about the Holy Spirit working through you. I want you to focus on it being a life's journey, your life's journey. I'm calling you like Jesus to take the journey of a lifetime and disciple. Jesus saying multiply. This was my plan from the very beginning was to multiply spiritually. What I did in you must continue through you. You've got to pour yourself out. Now, how do we do this? Well, the life journey, it's the vehicle. It's the vehicle to partner with you as you disciple, to help you learn how to disciple. It's why our students are integrating the life journey into the wholeness. It has become the curriculum, the thing. The students with Roger leading them and the leaders who have come on board are helping people learn. By Your students, by the time they graduate, will be able to disciple other people and will know how to serve in their community and will know how to have the habits and the truths that will help them follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. And I am beyond excited for the transformational life's work that's going on inside of them. And you should be too. Because life journey in high school, discipleship, learning it in high school is when we all should have learned it. That the life journey is something that we should have been doing as Christians from the very beginning. In fact, I would say that life journey and what we're doing with it is, is kind of remedial for adults. Most of us didn't get what we needed, and now it's time for us to reclaim it and to correct the trajectory of the church. At every church, I have brought this framework of discipleship. It's a framework. It is, it is not magic. It is not the best. It's simply getting behind what the Holy Spirit is doing. I have heard people say about these courses again and again and again, I don't need that. I know this. I've been a Christian for years. And I would say that you are the very ones who need to take it. 
If you're saying, I don't need this life journey, then the life journey is actually for you. I have seen at every church I've been a part of that people have been resistant to discipleship and that it has cost the church so very much because we are breaking down to the foundation and tearing everything that wasn't of discipleship down to rebuild up on a new foundation because we know that one becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight, becomes something that cannot be controlled, that cannot be managed. We understand this. And those, some of the ones who were the most vocal against discipleship became its greatest supporters because they felt the Holy Spirit moving in it. And I'm calling each of it to it. Have faith like a child. Invite you to learn, to humble yourself and learn. And if not for you, do it for your spiritual children. Do it for the people that God has called you to disciple. I want to talk about the life journey briefly. And the truth is I'm going to call each of us to be part of it and to start at the beginning. And the beginning is the explore course. And just like I talked about how evangelism is discipleship, the explore course are for all people, but they're for those who are exploring a deeper understanding of truth or skeptical about this faith. Remember, discipleship happens before conversion. The next course where you're going to encounter other people, um, but you're also going to encounter Jesus, it's called the encounter course, and it awakens you to the core of the faith. Not just the truths about it, not just head knowledge about the Bible and, and prayer and what it is and baptism and giving and all that. No, no, no. It's, it's helping you also engage it and to have new habits. The advanced course helps you experience the power of the Holy Spirit understand your spiritual gifts, the purpose of your personality, your strengths, your calling, that all of it is towards discipleship and God, and it helps you get involved and start living out of what God has put in you. And the transform course, this one is my favorite. I remember every course I've ever been a part of. I remember the first one in this little church in the middle of nowhere with three different couples sitting on the nastiest, like, broke, broken, like, metal-folding chairs you've ever seen in your life talking about discipleship. And all the way from now to then with hundreds and years, a decade of, of work, the people who have been part of it, the transformed course empowers you to become whole, to become the mission, and become confident in your discipleship to train you to do that. And finally, something that isn't a one-time course, but it's something that we do every quarter is something called Multiply. And it's today, tonight, here. And it's for those who are, we're inviting those who are partners, but we're inviting normally uh, as well, today as well, we're going to invite everybody who's graduated from Transform, but we're going to also invite every single partner because we want to call you to be part of it. But what is Multiply? Well, well this is hard. This is hard, having to just keep pouring yourself out again and again and, and again and again. It, it can be very, very hard. What multiply is, is that those of us who understand that discipleship is everything, we get together and we get together with Jesus and we just ask him, fill us up. Fill up my cup so I can pour out. Fill up my cup so that I can grow. Make me a bigger vessel for your presence. Multiply is a chance for us to worship together and to be filled up by the presence of God. So that's what you can look forward to if you go through this course. 
No matter who you are, you can engage this code, multiply. And I want to tell you how to do that, your next step. Now, whenever I talk about next steps, you want to make sure that if you feel like I need to do this, or even if you just want more information, you fill out this Connect card immediately, or if you're online, that you let us know. But I want each of you to determine what your next step is. In a moment, some of you need to start the journey of discipleship. I'm going to give you a chance to recommit your life to Jesus or follow Jesus for the very first time. So for your next step, you're going to need to tell us that you've done that, that, that you have maybe realized, wow, I don't even think, I, I think I have a new understanding and God is calling me to commit myself to this, to this walk, to accepting what Jesus has done for me, but to do it through me. You need to fill that out. Let us know you're making that decision. Some of you, you need to make a statement. You need to put a line in the sand and you need to get baptized. You haven't been baptized or you're realizing, I need to do this. I need to say, I'm going to die to doing things my way and I'm going to rise in Christ. And you may need to get baptized. So you will let us know immediately that you want to be baptized at our next New Life Sunday. But finally, this is the biggest one. Sign up for the life journey. Sign up today for more information, but sign up to be part of what's happening in just a few short weeks and be on this journey. Start this journey. Learn how to disciple. See, that's the thing. We want to partner with you. We want to partner together. We want to train you up and fill you up so that you can disciple other people because this is the core of who we are. Listen, we don't get to do what God has called us to do as a church until we do what he told us to do first, which is disciple. Discipleship is not the finish line of the church. It's the starting line. It's the beginning of what God can do through us. And we, we just push it off as if it's something that I'll be discipled someday or I'll do discipleship someday. It's the beginning. Come, make disciples. Go, make disciples. Join us on this journey. Will you stand with me? Some of you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Some of you need to take a next step, or maybe God is just wrecking you right now, or you're confused, or you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to go look at all these passages. Good. I'm glad that God is stirring up inside of you. This is a movement of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do right now, before we invite people to follow Jesus, is invite our prayer team forward. If you're on our prayer team, could you just come start coming to the front? and uh, stand up here. And what's going to happen um, in just a minute after the songs, and when the song starts, and, but if, if you feel like God's moving in your heart now, you can come down now. You can just ignore everything else I'm saying because it's about an encounter with Jesus. But these individuals are here not to give you advice, but to help you encounter Jesus in prayer. So if you make a decision to follow Jesus, come down and receive prayer afterwards. If you're in the place where you need something or God's moving in you, has nothing to do with anything I talked about. Come down and receive prayer in just a moment. It's a place where you can encounter Jesus. Let's all close our eyes and prepare ourselves for this moment. For this moment, an opportunity to worship God and to give Him glory. To know that God has called us to a higher level. He's called us to follow. Come, and I will make you fishers of men and women. Come you will make disciples. For those who want to start this journey or recommit to it, would you pray to God right now? And most of the time I tell you, just repeat after me. But 
right now. Just ask that you would talk to God, that you would admit your need for Him, and that you are willing to leave everything behind and follow Him. You take just a moment knowing that there are people in the room who are praying for you right now, knowing that the Holy Spirit is guiding you to this moment. It wasn't my message that brought you to this place, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work in your heart and will help you admit your need for God and that you will follow Him. Why don't you come and experience the presence of the Almighty God who has lowered Himself so that we can know His Son, Jesus. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening to this message. Pray that you were inspired or transformed in some way in your heart, your soul, your mind. Um, Also, we want to invite you, as we often do in person, uh, if you committed your life to Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, if you had an awareness of Jesus, maybe for the first time in your life, um, that's new for you. Maybe that's unsettling. Maybe it's a little bit nerve-wracking. Maybe you feel like you just took a giant step of faith and you're not sure what comes next. Um, I want to help you. We want to help you. And so the best thing for you to do is to fill out a Connect card. You can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And toward the top of that page, there's a button that says Connect Card. You can click on it, fill out a little bit of information about yourself. You can even um, check that you made a commitment to Jesus. Um, There's all different kinds of language for what that means, um, but that's what it says on our Connect card. And then if you check that box, we want to be able to follow up with you and help you take your next steps um, so that you're not doing this journey alone. Um, We pray that you're having a wonderful day, and we will see you back here real soon.